This is Series 3 of Brave New You Tribe, and I'm Lou Hamilton, co-founder with Meredith Etna Chapman of the clothing brand Brave New You. We welcome you to the stories of real-life Brave New Girls who are creatives, brand builders, entrepreneurs, health practitioners, and campaigners who have the courage to overcome challenges, push the envelope, and envision impactful possibilities for the future. This week's guest is Nikki Bannerman, who evolved her second career in radio broadcast journalism from the glitzy, globe-trotting world of marketing and PR in music, film, and TV. Lifelong passion for radio, she rewrote the story of her life into one in which she gets to use the power of audio to create a platform for health and well-being. Welcome, Nikki, to Brave New You Tribe. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. I wonder how uh, your pandemic has gone. We're in 2021. Vaccines are rolling out, but we find ourselves in lockdown still. And hopefully that will, as we go towards summer, it'll ease up. But I wonder how that has been for you the last, what, nearly a year now, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't know why I'm laughing. Well, I mean, it's been one test after another, hasn't it? And they keep giving us more information, saying that that finishing line is getting a bit further and further away. Uh, I think we've all learnt more about ourselves, about what really matters and what we need in our lives than ever before. And I think what I've observed is that people are looking inwards, which I don't think is a bad thing. We're, We're observing our own strengths and weaknesses and really what matters. We've observed friends and families, coping skills about how they cope with fear or how they don't and our own children and it's all been incredibly eye-opening there's been some gifts and a lot of challenges that are never-ending but I think we have to come back to being grateful I think the highs have been higher the lows have been lower it's just been reflective for everyone and I think it's made us all struggle question areas of our lives you know physically mentally emotionally spiritually we've been given time as a gift that we've never had before you know that commute is gone um, I worked from home before, actually, so I felt actually quite, quite, you know, gleeful in that my life carried on a bit uh, similarly to before, and then everyone else was was having to readapt, and I was helping them, and I felt, you know, before people used to sort of laugh at people that worked from home and sat on the sofa, and now everyone's working from home and sitting on the sofa, and people are a bit more gracious about how important to carve out time for yourself and self care and take time out you know as we did this morning you for the dog and me for the dishwasher (laughs) repairman you know because life gets in the way doesn't it and we're still all doing and probably doing more because we're working later and we're now all on clubhouse in the middle of the night like you and I and but I personally had to stop my passion for swimming which was uh, really hard I, I loved swimming three or four times a week and I took up walking in the park and getting oxygen and seeing trees and I've grown to love it it's funny when you do something for more than 30 days, it becomes a habit, doesn't it? And um, and actually, I think it does do your well-being a lot of good. I really find it actually makes you feel alive. I actually, in the first lockdown, you know, what are we on now? Lockdown three. Someone said there's three more until Christmas, but hopefully they're joking. Um, but I lost about a stone in lockdown one because of the new walking and et more healthily. People said you either become a a hunk or a chunk in the first lockdown and I think we've all given up now we don't care what we wear and what we eat and what we do but um I even found a hippie hill 
uh, here in Suffolk to uh, sing out loud and listen to podcasts and express myself. So um, I found some fun in the madness. Um, I loved having time with my children in the first lockdown and the, the gift of sunshine and joy in the madness. But, you know, it's getting a bit um, grating for all of us now, isn't it? I think looking ahead at 2021, it is full of eventual promise. Um, hopefully the finishing line's in sight. Someone I interviewed said, you know, it's, we've got to remember it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, and it is so true. It's got the twists and turns and the, uh, you know, we have good and bad days. And we have good and bad moments within a day. And actually we're having those conversations and men are and children are that we've never had before, which I've always loved. And you and I, when we interview people, love digging deeper. But a lot of people don't and haven't. And in, even with neighbours and things now, saying, how are you really? Or, you know, people are saying, actually, I'm struggling today or I'm having a bad day. Have you got any time? Or, And I think that's really special, you know, particularly with men. You know, it, it's one of the most harrowing things that men have the highest suicide statistic. And they're talking now, they're talking about relationships, they're talking about things that matter, they're talking about difficulty, they're talking about, you know, it's it's been a bridge, I think, for a lot of people, and we have to change how we acted before on all fronts. I think that's interesting, the idea about a marathon, not a sprint, because when we were talking about it the other day, me and my daughter, and, and we were like, do you remember those first few weeks of, of that lockdown? We were told, the very, very first lockdown, we were told it was going to be three weeks, and we just went oh, into yes. absolute panic. <laughs> How are we going to cope? And I, you know, so I'm like right. you, I'm used to working from home. I'm, you know, this was really going to be no change for me. But it yes. was just like the idea of not being able to. And, we, you know, we'd watch Wuhan, you know, 93 days or something. Those people were were sort of shut up in their in their homes. And we sort of looked at, you know, the, the news in horror, thinking how on earth they survived and how are we going to now survive for two or three weeks? And, you know, what? nine months or so later and and we're sort of yes. we're looking now at this third lockdown as it might be we don't know but it might be three months and and so how do we it's not like the fight or flight in in when you think it's just going to be a short sharp shock this is you know as you say a marathon so how do you cope over a long period of time so I wonder how you yes. have coped how how do you look at this time that you have and you know I don't know how old your children are so what they're having to go through gosh well well quite a lot really I, I think I've learned to be more patient uh, which I'm not uh, has never been one of my my <laughs> my greatest strengths in life in health in love in all these things you know and to be grateful I, I've always been a positive person that has really struggle with seeing negative in in all sorts of things and that has been a challenge for me as a positive person to really try and find the positive when there really isn't a positive at the moment and um I think that's been a challenge in terms of saying okay I've brought it back to the joy that you can all find in the madness in very small things because there was a beautiful quote I read once that said if you enjoy the the little things when you look back you'll discover that those were the big things and I think that's so true and I am a bit of a big kid at heart you know I will light a fire pit and say to the kids let's go and toast marshmallows or let's light sparklers or let's go and do something because I think that's what you remember and um, 
there's very little, you know, apart from reading good book. And as you say, you know, three weeks did seem like forever, but reading a book in the sunshine seemed like you were on holiday and, you know, drinking cocktails and doing things you had time for. And then it just became never ending. And I think I've become more into, you know, meditating, which I never really did before, taking time for walking every day. And I say, my, my kids are both teenagers now. I say, have you had your daily exercise or your walk for your mental well-being? And we have those sort of conversations. And in fact, my daughter went to university and missed Freshers Week, you know, this year, last year, and got COVID within five days of arriving. And I couldn't get to her. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't protect one of my children from this killer disease. And, and people weren't aware of what it did. And things like that, that you've just never been troubled with. So I try and said to them, but yes, it is a year. And we've missed some of the most valuable opportunities and things when you're 16, like my son is at sixth form, and my daughter at university, the, the things you'll never get back. But what we took for granted and were complacent about before, we will we will appreciate more when we eventually come out of this. And we we won't take anything for granted. We'll hold everyone closer. We'll hug people more. We'll enjoy everything more. We'll look at the, uh, the world with new eyes. And it's not like it was in the war, which was only our parents' generation, you know, their grandparents. They had five years. And we're thinking one year is a long time. So we have to, yes hunker down and uh, and be patient is I think what we need to do. I'm very like you I'm I err on the the side of positivity and have sort of trained myself to to do that um, and to always look for the positive in in every situation but recently I've been sort of reading various things and and looking at those emotions that that come up that are less than positive so it might be fear or anxiety or anger or shame or grief you know particularly in in this time and and looking at how you can allow those feelings and not be overwhelmed by those feelings and the things that I've been reading have been really helping me because I've we lost someone very close to us in our family last week and what I've really found is that you allow those feelings to come through you and you sort of almost hold yourself um, slightly distant so you you're aware of the feelings and and just that awareness allows you to see them happening to you rather than um, feeling kind of overwhelmed by those feelings and that that they they sort of rise and fall and at the at the peak of rising they're incredibly intense and incredibly painful but if you watch it it passes and then it's sort of the the that intensity of your emotion kind of settles and then again it'll come in, in another wave a bit later on but but gradually those waves become less intense and further apart and so I wonder how in the times when when you haven't felt your sort of fullest positive self and you have felt those more negative emotions how you deal with those gosh interesting yes and I'm so sorry you know what you've been going through personally and I've been doing the same as you you know being a curious broadcast journalist you know and similar background to yourself in film and all sorts of things I've been reading more too and and I used to say and I've, I've interviewed an incredible amount of women that have been gifts to me in terms of what I've taken from some of the things they've said and what strength they've given me and quotes they've given me but 
again, the word you used was awareness. I think I've become more aware. What I used to say to people and to my children was, it's okay to not be okay. But now, and I read something recently, I thought, actually, it has to go deeper than that. Yes, it, it is okay to not be okay, but how are you going to get out of that? And I think that's the thing I've now moved forward into in terms of what coping skills can you give yourself in order to actually pull yourself back up and whatever it is when you're reaching those emotions as you say one of the people I interviewed was an anxiety and trauma counsellor I thought during lockdown it wasn't appropriate to interview you know hard-hitting business women that have made lots of money and just make people feel worse so I interviewed a woman that had been in captivity who'd been in a prison for seven years I interviewed a mindfulness Buddhist coach who took people outdoors and walked with them because walking with them made their energy change and that made them feel better and they could talk about their problems and I interviewed a trauma and anxiety counsellor who said similar to what you said that the the voices in your head are largely self-talk and we're all guilty of it particularly women and she's saying you don't none of those thoughts are you and when those thoughts come in you can choose what you want to take on and want to express, or you can just let it pass. And that a lot of people, she was saying, that have been through previous trauma, which she said lots of people have rooms full of trauma, you know, dominoes of trauma, it, it all comes back with a trauma. And our coping skills for how we dealt with previous traumas, and I, I you know, I've had my series of traumas in terms of, you know, I lost both my parents one year after another, and I knew that I had some coping skills for coming back from grief. And it is a form of grief. I think it's a world grief that we're all feeling. And it's very similar. So I try and lighten it. And I say, you know, to my children, it is a form of grief. You look at the Simpsons, seven stages of grief, and you will go through denial and anger and rage and, you know, all of the, it's a process. And something I thought of yesterday and someone I interviewed the other day said, trust the process. And I think it's, it is about, it's trust the process, it's for a reason. There's another quote that says, you know, things happen for a reason, a season or a lifetime, or people come into your life for that reason. And I think it's quite a beautiful expression. And maybe some of these things are to teach us. And what can we learn and give back and do with what we're taught? And the way I've tried to cope is really from meditating which I've started to do every day reaching out um, some people reach in when they're feeling down I tend to reach out and phone friends and go for a walk or hug my children everyone copes differently but I luckily learned Reiki a form of meditation and healing when I was in Australia years ago and I can actually give it to myself and I've been doing various courses online and some of those involve various sorts of meditation as well and I think I think it's very helpful and I think men and children now are learning about apps and ways to just go from your headspace into your heart space because as a curious broadcaster I've always got a million ideas in my headspace and you must with films and PR and one thing or another and stories but when you leave your headspace and go into your heart space and be true to yourself, I think it's really grounding. And it, it's something I've had to do more of, you know, in, um, in lockdown. And I keep thinking, okay, you can't plan anything. Let's live for today. 
And may, and I've even said to the teams, let's go back to one task a day is enough because we try and do three, four, 25 and you just have a meltdown. I said, if you can achieve one thing a day, that's fine. And anything else is a bonus because we're not kind to ourselves, are we? We're, we're our own mean girls. <laughs> I absolutely stand by the one thing a day. And uh, I started a few years ago when we were filming. We were, we were filming in India, um, where, which you know, is chaos. And, you know, trying to get anything done is virtually impossible. And we, we decided then, my partner and I, who's the cameraman, we decided, right, one thing a day. If we can achieve that, <laughs> then all's good. Definitely. And then we sort of realized how much space it creates in, in your head. And, and so we've sort of carried that on. And of course, you get loads more done. But, but the expectation on yourself is to get one key thing done. And if you've done that, then it's a re- it makes you feel good. It gives you more confidence. You're then going to you know, swoop up all the other things that you need to do. But it's not like that's the thing that you've got to get. You know, all of those things exactly. you've got to get done. They're all a bonus. Exactly. Otherwise, we feel a failure. So you've, you're a radio broadcast journalist and a podcaster, and you've talked about the, some of the interviews and the conversations that you've had. And, and I think that audio has been a lifesaver because it is something that we've been able to carry on in our work through lockdown. So this is a second career for you, isn't it? Do you want to talk about this second career and then what you were doing before? Thank you. I know it makes me sound like a dinosaur, doesn't it? That's so ancient that I've had so many careers. But I had an incredible first career before children where I travelled all over the world with my work, similar to your work. I worked for record companies, film and TV companies and publishers. I worked in Australia for Time Warner, who sent me out there when I was in my 20s to do business development. So it was really exciting. And then I joined Virgin Megastores over there. And Blockbuster bought them and then Blockbuster brought me back to Europe. So actually, I had an incredible time like you did. You know, it just sounds so ridiculously shallow and flash. But, you know, I commuted to Copenhagen and Vienna from Europe. I went, as you did, to the Cannes TV and film markets. And I was taken to the Grammys in New York. You know, it felt unreal, really. It was exhilarating and exciting. And the entertainment industry was incredible. But I was young and free then. (laughs) And I set up my own PR agency, as, as you did. And it was quite a long time ago. The company restructured Time Warner and I got the money, bought my first desktop and luckily landed DreamWorks Films as my first client, which was both incredible and terrifying. So that's how I sort of started working for myself and, and actually have ever since. But my second career, as you say, That was when I reached a milestone birthday and my teenagers needed me a bit less. And I thought, okay, again, being back to true to yourself, what am I passionate about? And I thought ever since I was 15, when you quash those feelings of what you really want to do because of your peers or because you didn't work hard enough and get the qualifications or whatever, I'd always wanted to work for the BBC or be a journalist. And it wasn't to be. So at the milestone birthday, I volunteered for my local radio station and I thought, I can do this. And they asked me to read the news and I loved it. And so every week I would read the news and then I'd do events and I did it for three years and I did it because I loved it. And through that, I got training at the BBC in London. 
and in Manchester. And I thought, gosh, I've found my tribe. This is where I've wanted to be. And the inner me since I was so, so young and just loved it. So I started making podcasts for the BBC before they launched BBC Sounds. And that came about because I was at BBC Manchester and people were talking about podcasts. So I started getting curious about them and I wouldn't say fell into it, but I think I just became curious. I had the passion. I had the fire in my belly. I was doing every course I could to learn the art of interviewing and production and how to co-present a radio show and how to drive a desk and whatever. I felt like I was a teenager. And I think there's something very very relaxing when you are quite a busy person when you're talking to yourself in a padded room <laughs> it's as near as you can get to madness isn't it <laughs> and feel okay <laughs> so I think that helps with sanity in um, in lockdown and just talking to other people and I think as you say we're lucky to have this skill or this gift or this passion that you can t find out other stories, you can talk to people in other worlds, we can talk to people across the world, you know, in America and Australia and interview people and celebrities. They've got nowhere to go now. They can't say they're busy. <laughs> so we can get them. And I think it opens up other people's eyes. And the power of audio, as, as you love, you know, there's something so intimate about hearing a story. It, I think it takes you back to being a child. Someone's talking in your ear and it's very calming. And if you like their voice, it's, it's very soothing. And I think it's very different to watching video where you're thinking, oh, what's that? Or what are they wearing? Or I like what they've got in their house. Or I love that too. And, that, and that's helpful in, to be nosy in lockdown uh, about people's houses. But I think audio is, it's, it is a gift and it's had a renaissance and it's, Podcasting now is huge and I've watched, you know, and been to all of these seminars and I've worked at the radio festival and their awards nights and all the industry speakers and seen speakers like the, the people that started Serial as a podcast that have had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of downloads and just seeing how it was going to happen over here more. And now in lockdown, People are turning to podcasts. They're, you know, everyone's binging on Netflix. They're not watching TV, so then advertising's not getting to them. They can't go to the cinema. They're not seeing any posters on the tube or the bus or anywhere. Um, so podcasts, you can get to them in the palm of their hands, on, on their phone, in their homes, while they're exercising. People are turning to podcasting and thinking, actually, this is where we need to be reaching people or creating our own. So suddenly, you and I are content creators because of the skills that we had before. So actually, it's only a bonus. And it was interesting because the Clubhouse app came to the UK during the lockdown. So I think it was really sort of over Christmas 2020 that the Brits started to sort of find it and then sort of become completely sort of obsessed. It was a sort of by invite only to start with and only people on iPhones. But it is audio. And, you know, everyone has been sort of so with work so zoomed out it has been a world of of the visual of of the moving image and as you say podcasts have become something that's sort of on on the back of sort of youtube videos podcasts have sort of come up behind um, and they're useful because you can listen to them when you can't watch something but it's been really fascinating to see how people have become completely obsessed on on Clubhouse 
And it's sort of the setup is a bit like a conference. You have a, a hallway and you have rooms where you can go and listen to talks. You can go in and you can just listen or you can come up on stage and say your two have your two penneth worth. Or you can run rooms on any subject that you want and have people come up and, and talk on your stage or you can just talk if you want. And the fact that it's just audio, I mean, it's basically really old fashioned concept. It's like a load of people on a telephone having a chat. <laughs> yeah. This phenomenon, because, you know, there's they're now up to a million users. Are they really? Yeah. You know, and that's without the Android users. Wow. So obviously, probably by the time people are, are listening to this, it'll be even more. Yes. But that phenomenon of people wanting to connect, wanting to be in a community, but being really happy um, in a way that it includes extroverts and introverts, both are happy when there's not a, a picture of themselves. And so I wonder what that sort of audio confidence is about interesting yes and as you say we've uh, started talking on clubhouse I, I think that was very clever you know with my marketing hat on as that it was a secret club that was you had to be in the know you had to be invited you had to be have a guest to actually say that that you were allowed to join sort of thing and and it was the kudos of how quickly you could become a member and oh I was a member first and actually you get a little I think it's a little a loudspeaker isn't it party yeah. popper that you get for seven days so that people know you're a newbie and it's all that stigma isn't it, isn't it? oh you're new um I think it's very clever and I think people people are tired of having to dress up and not be themselves I think there's been a fusion of home work life balance and I think that's a good thing I think people think oh sorry I'm in my slippers or yes actually I haven't dressed up or put makeup on or because actually that's reality you know we're all busy we're all you know some of us parents some of us are working you know whatever we've all got stuff in our lives and actually to do something where you can connect you know people could be I'm a bit lonely or I'm a bit tired or I can't sleep or actually I'm up late it's over in America they're behind us or actually the Australians are about to come on there's someone to chat to or there's something interesting to look up that's not as you say watching video and which is quite tiring, the Zoom chat relentlessly. And there's podcast stuff because America are ahead of the game. You and I can go to a little conference on podcast, chat, get invited up on the stage, you know, and you and I might host something together. And that is, I think it's very interesting and I love them. It's almost like it's a smorgasbord of content that we can take in any which way we want. And we've learned that we really don't like being alone as human beings. We really like to connect. We really like to be in a community. And when things like pandemics take that community away, technology has, has enabled us to, to an, in part, be with people across the world, be Definitely. with our families, be with our friends, learn things, listen to stories. So with this new career, oh, it's not so new, is it? Um, but this second career, what what is it that really you you get the most out of from the conversations that you have gosh well interesting actually because um you know as you say that interactive connection with you know that the children have been doing for for ages with snapchat and with gaming and everything you know adults are now wanting a piece of that and uh 
one of the things I've been working on recently, which is again another new exciting thing, is a company called Fem Foundry, which is a brand new uh, female networking space, and they have done similar to to the clubhouse format of taking that inclusive, connective world space where people can reach out and talk to each other, and then with a publishing lens where people can talk about their businesses and they can and there's podcasts and TV and various formats on there as well. So that's a very interesting brand new development. And I'm one of their leaders on their platform and I'm their podcast host on health, well-being and lifestyle. So it's something that's really exciting that's come out of lockdown for me personally. You know, a lot of these opportunities that I've got has been because I have a passion as you do for audio and radio and telling stories and and talking <laughs> and being curious and I think you know information comes easily to me and I think that that passion in radio and broadcasting and journalism can be used in podcasts and can be used in new interactive formats and new apps and things like Clubhouse I don't in any way think it's going to alleviate podcasts I think they're both going to continue to grow and in fact advertising I think on podcasts in the US, it's been predicted to grow from one, I think it's 1.25 or certainly a billion dollars this year uh, into 3.25 by 2025. And we're not anywhere near as advanced as America and Korea are even leading on podcasts because of their phones, because we all have this app inbuilt into the phones and the new phones, it'll be even faster and different and um so I think it's only the beginning. But podcasts, as you say, yes, I, I have a passion. I have a passion for talking about health and well-being and mental health. I interviewed Ruby Wax probably five or six years ago before people even talked about mental health. And at the time I thought, am I being too, you know, like an inner American talking openly about sensitive subjects too early? Are the British sort of ready for this? But it just was a driving force, the same as when I was doing journalism. For me, that that strong emotional narrative of how you can help somebody with their life or change their mindset or help them through an adversity because I've been through adversities and you've been through adversities. How can we use our skills and combine that with journalism and with audio and with telling stories and help them in their life? Because if they can hear a story that someone's overcome something and it just changes one thing that helps them in their life, then we've made such a huge difference. You know, you found this passion for, for audio and for podcasting, for radio and for having conversations. And then, as tends to happen, you then find your purpose within that. And and that was about health and well-being. And often these things you know, we don't come across these things when everything is going tickety-boo, do we? You know, it always these things tend to happen because we've been through something and we're we're forced. There's some kind of pain point that forces us to renegotiate our life, renegotiate how we think, renegotiate how we do things and dig deep and find out another way. What is what are we here for? What are we doing? What are we here to offer? That also might come with age, but it also and experience, but it also does come from suffering can be a I don't see suffering as a gift. It forces us to do things differently it, for us to come out of it and to rise. 
and you've said that you've had um, a couple of operations. So was your interest in health and well-being, what were the pain points that that sort of pushed you towards finding that as your purpose? Well, that's interesting, actually, because as you say, it's a sort of journey that we don't necessarily navigate and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's sort of, yes, where you end up. And I think you're right. It, I think it's it has come from age and from experience and from, as you say, life challenges that just make you think, okay, I got through that myself. That was hard. I did it. I dug deep, as you say. I had that resilience. I had those coping skills. Maybe not so much being aware, but just thinking, actually, if I tell someone's story and they help somebody else or tell my stories, it it almost becomes something that you're passionate about in terms of purpose. I mean, I love the power of a story and giving other people a platform to share their stories. And I think you can get uplifted or motivated by hearing other people's stories and change their mindset. And I think, as we say, you know, the voice is so much more intimate. I think my purpose is to keep the focus on health and well-being. And it actually, it did come out of lockdown because at the beginning of lockdown, I lost a major client. All sorts of things started to fall apart. I mean, the things that people have been through in lockdown, a lot of people have been through terrible things, you know, lost friends or family or loved ones or, you know, suffering huge grief or there's so many people that are working relentlessly in the health industry that haven't had a day off since March you know while a lot of us have had time a lot of people haven't had any time or those key workers have just carried on you know but as you say yes health is our wealth and I have really learned that you know this year as well as lockdown one and two I suddenly had to have an emergency operation in July uh, where my appendix was about to rupture, which I thought only happened to people when they're about 12. <laughs> and I just, thought, I just thought I had a gluten allergy, which I'd had on and off stomach aches, you know, uh, over the period of the last year, and just bizarrely ended up, you know, having an emergency life-threatening surgery in the middle of this chaos. But I used that to my advantage, <laughs> again, trying to be positive, of offering the BBC an interview of how amazing the NHS is because I stayed in overnight and they thankfully brought me out the other side. But it was terrifying because I had to have a COVID test, but they couldn't give me one before because I had to have this emergency operation. I said, but what if I've got COVID or catch it? And they said, it's too late, we have to operate. And I thought, oh my God, if I've got COVID, then that's it. I thought if they put me under and I didn't have time to tell my children properly and my family and whatever what what would happen if I didn't come out the other side so I suddenly had this huge and they said it's emergency life-threatening surgery and I was saying surely not you know <laughs> which was really because there were women in my ward who, who were writhing in agony with awful stomach and situations that they just had pain management because they weren't allowed to have operations because you're only allowed to have life-threatening surgery in lockdown too and nobody was allowed to visit and my children couldn't even come and see me. And suddenly for four days, I just wasn't there. <laughs> and thank goodness, as you know, as a single mother, they weren't three years old or babies or whatever, because I just had to, I just literally went to the doctor with my phone and then went straight to hospital. So that's all I had was my phone. <laughs> I had no pajamas, no toothbrush, no, you know, nothing. And um, it was just bizarre. 
so I then had a hip operation. I'm still on crutches now, actually, and here, here, here it is in November. Uh, so I felt as though I was doing an, a sort of journalist perspective of <laughs> what it's like in hospital because I, you know, almost laughing in black humour at the awfulness of the situation that I suddenly realised if you're having a planned operation, which obviously the last one wasn't planned, and you're going into hospital, you have to isolate and you can't see anyone and you have full PPE kit on and even my children, I had to have PPE kit on and because you have to isolate before you have an operation because of the risks of of having an operation when you might have it or giving it to somebody else who is already in recovery. So you have isolation before and after. So I went into this and then no visitors. So I went into this state of actually what it's really like being in isolation of not seeing anybody, not allowed to go in a shop, not allowed to get out of your car and go into the petrol station or not allowed to, to see another human and then not have a visitor when you're in hospital trying to recover to cheer you up and actually again back to those coping skills and resilience and how how you dig deep to try and come back from that so I think realizing that if you haven't got health you haven't got anything and how health and well-being is so important and I was ironically at my fittest because of lockdown one just before I had that operation, I'd lost a stone. I was so full of vitality. I had a suntan. I felt brilliant. I was walking every day and I felt as though that had maybe prepared for me for the first operation. And then my recovery after that took a long time because it was a general anesthetic to come back from. And then I had to have a local anesthetic with the second operation to then realize actually how long and how you have to bring that patience back to the front with rehabilitation and I've been on crutches now for nearly nine weeks and um, how you realize that you're allowed to drive after six weeks but you can't actually get to your car <laughs> without being in crutches and you can't park your car and I tried to get a disabled uh, blue badge and they say you have to be disabled for three years before you can have and I said I can't even get to my car if I have to park it too far away and get back into my house can I not do anything and it's an eye-opener again from a journalist perspective of actually what it's like you know what it's like living the life of an 80 year old that, that really you know people can't take their health for granted in this climate in this pandemic of thinking that it doesn't matter because to some people it it's just life-changing. I think that you know there's nothing like being faced with something in your health that will make you face fear full, full on. How do you define courage in terms of health and well-being? Gosh, well, having, you know, looked seriously at the possibility twice of, of actually, you know, not coming back, I think you look at courage in a whole new way. You know, you really, really do think actually how lucky or how grateful you are for what you do have you know and something that's life-threatening it makes you aware of what you don't want to lose you know um, life is fragile people can lose everything suddenly you know people have lost health lives friends work you know they can lose their house with a big mortgage overnight they can lose their 
family or their partner because of the stress that this is having on relationships. I think courage, first of all, it's it's a great word. It's that combination of the Latin and French word for heart, isn't it? And that brings me back from moving out of your headspace into your heart space, uh, you know, to be bold and strong in the face of adversity, which I've done and you've done and lots of others out there are doing right now. That digging deep and finding, you know, the mental or moral strength to know, not necessarily, not at all that it's easy, but that, but when it's really, really hard, that you can still stand steadfast in the face of it and face whatever the challenge is and know that there will be an end to it, I think, is really what defines it for me pretty powerful stuff isn't it thank you so much nikki for sharing your story and and how you've rewritten it through the tough times to create a whole new chapter in your life in which you get to pursue your passions and your dreams thank you so much we've got we seem to have so much in common so i really look forward to meeting you in person when when we can definitely thank you so much uh, I've really enjoyed that today and just, you know, just know that to try and stay positive, you know, thank you for this brave new you opportunity to help others hopefully be brave with their steps going forward. I think being true to your own values, your own passions and purpose, to, for people to take the path that's meant for them and that whatever challenges come to them, that they will get through it. And to listen to their heart and their gut instinct, I think, in my life has really held true that actually to follow your heart and your gut, sometimes more than your head, because we know what's right for us and what's wrong, particularly with this world as it is. Hopefully people will come out of it with a new awakening that actually everything we need is inside us and everything that we want, we can seek and find. I think it'd be a massive celebration on the other side, hopefully. And yes, I definitely look forward to seeing you and meeting you. Thanks, Nikki. And I look forward to listening to more of your Influential Women podcasts and all of the other projects that you've got coming into fruition. Take care. Thank you so much. See you soon. See you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Nikki, for showing us how our lives and careers can develop and evolve as we learn about ourselves and follow our hearts. You can find out more about Nikki's work on www.nikkibannermanradio.co.uk and follow her on Instagram at Nikki underscore Bannerman. Thanks also to Podstar PR for producing the series and to you, our tribe, for listening. Download, rate and review on your podcast provider so that we can keep bringing you this free podcast. Goodbye for now and see you next time.